Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with CC Podcast Conversations. We're finishing up the Christian Products Expo in Lexington, Kentucky 2022. Andrew, it's been great. Such a good time. Um, I'm, I'm very glad we made the decision to come here. Very thankful to Joyce Barbati for, for putting that in our ear and uh, thankful to the CPE conference. Uh, they've, they've given us uh, free admission as media and, uh, and that's, that's meant a lot. That's, uh, that's really fun, been a, a valuable thing. This conference happens twice a year for Christian publishers, booksellers, bookstore owners like Joyce, who recommended this to us. And uh, the interview that we're gonna hear here, it's one of 18, so if you're hearing this, there are 17 others just from this, and then we've got a bunch of other episodes on the CC Podcast Conversations that I think you'll be inspired by. But this is Christina Baker. Christina was one of the keynote speakers for this conference. Yeah, right. She has got an amazing story. I, I put Christina Baker in the category of Ron Gruber, Mike Reynolds, Joshua Broom, these are other people who we've interviewed on this podcast who have had radical conversions, right. whose lives were a mess yeah. before they knew Christ, and who have come into the light and now are doing incredible things. And Christina has got such uh, an inspiring story, and she's got such passion. I mean, just sitting across and looking into her eyes, I mean, man, she's on fire. Yeah and uh, she's passionate and she wants to make the most of the opportunities she's given to point people to Christ. Yeah, I'm. you came away from the interview buzzing yourself. I think her, her energy was that infectious. Uh, and so I think uh, our, our listeners are really gonna appreciate that. I think that's gonna shine through. Joyce texted me last night. She said, you need to interview Christina Baker. She had just heard her speak at the keynote thing, yeah. which we weren't at. Right. And, and you're like, already did? But yeah, before I could get back to her, I got another text from her that said, hey, I just talked to Christina and she said she talked with you guys and had a great conversation. And so yeah. that is awesome. Christina, thank you for making time for us. Praise God for what he's doing in your life and everybody else. Uh, enjoy being inspired and challenged by this interview. You're going to love it. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. We're interviewing interesting Christians with inspiring stories. I've got Christina Baker with me at the Christian Products Expo in Lexington, Kentucky. And Christina, you are my ninth interview in the last probably 12 hours. And so I feel like I'm swimming, but I'm excited about this one. So trust that the Lord is going to make it what we want it to be. And you're one of the keynote speakers this week, is that right? Yes, yes. I'll be speaking tonight. So why would CPE want you to be their keynote? Yeah, well, um, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, um, every time the Lord opens up a door, I know that he's opening up a door for people um, to receive the message of hope that comes from the gospel. Yeah. And so for every open door, I know that there are people that either are walking through a season 
um, where they need hope that only comes from Jesus, or they know somebody that is, or they're about to encounter someone um, that is going to need to know about the hope that's only found in him. So how did you come to find that hope and why did you need it when you found it? Yeah. Well, I grew up in an atheist home. My dad was an atheist. My mom was a non-practicing Catholic. Um, so I kind of fo followed in his footsteps. Where at? Well, I was born in Denver, Colorado, but I grew up in a country called Bolivia. Oh. When my parents got divorced, my mom remarried a Bolivian. So we moved there when I was pretty young after my parents divorced when I was seven. So. so was it your stepdad that was atheist or your biological dad? My biological dad. Okay. So I lived, you know, I lived with my dad till I was seven. And then when we moved to South America, I started taking a downward spiral, started getting into self-harm. And um, a lot of people may or may not know who this is, but Marilyn Manson. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's very much a, I got into the goth scene and started getting into, you know, self-harm and and all of that at a really young age. Uh, by the age of 14, I was um, going to the bars. There's no drinking age in South America. Mm. So started, you know, with alcohol and just just partying hard, um, trying to numb the pain that I didn't even know was there. Did you have other siblings go with you or were you kind of by yourself? Yeah. Finding your own friends, your new friends, whatever? I have three brothers, but we didn't have a great relationship. So, um, you know, my, yeah, I have an older brother and two younger brothers. So you went down to Bolivia knowing no one really? Just Got my family, yeah. I mean, in terms of who you're partying with and stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, you just, the thing is, is in that, like, in those kinds of groups, we all could, would just kind of find each other. And so Bolivia is not a very, that wasn't a very, especially in those time, early 2000s, like late in the 90s, there weren't a lot of people like that. We were definitely like a very, you know, the anti-social outcasts of society. Interesting. And I found my people in them because it was a bunch of people with a lot of pain inside and we just wanted to be able to express it. How did we do that? The black hair, the black clothes, the dog, sp dog spikes and the black, you know, rings around our eyes and, you know, looking, we wanted to look dead because I felt dead inside. Interesting. You know, I've always looked at goth people and wondered what's going on there. and. And I don't want to be painting with such a broad brush that I assume all of them are messed up. I mean, maybe they just like to wear dark clothes and wear spikes on their neck. I don't know. And who am I? I'm, I'm this clean cut Boy Scout kid. Um, so who am I to just say they're automatically all lost and have deep pain? But is that a generality that fits? I believe so. I do. Because, you know, what we see on the outward is usually pointing into something that is on the inside. So for me, it de definitely was that. And for most of the people that I w was around, it was that. I didn't know one person that wasn't in a place of like utter darkness in their soul that was living that. Now, could there be an exception to that? Absolutely. I mean, to generalize everybody and say everybody's like that. Right. I get that. But everybody that I knew, we were all kids that had come out of broken marriages, abuse, neglect like there was just we just kind of all found each other and that's the way it is you know you have when you've got wounds you kind of find other people I call them, you know wound lickers everybody's just kind of like oh. licking each other's wounds and you find each other yeah so keep telling the story yeah so by the age of 15 I came home one night my stepdad was standing at the foot of the stairs and as I was going up he almost pushed me down and he was he stopped and he goes you're not worth it and he's he said you're leaving and so my mom at the time, like she knew if I continued to stay there, she was scared for my life because of, you know, the violence was increasing more and more. My stepdad was really abusive. 
and they put me on a one-way ticket from Santa Cruz, Bolivia to Maui, Hawaii, where they believe my dad was. And I hadn't seen my dad in almost 10 years. Wow. So um, the last week, my dad was an oil executive for a big oil company, had a bad drug problem, which is what caused, you know, the, the problems between him and my mom and is one of the reasons why she left him. And so I go from Santa Cruz to Maui, show up with a electric guitar on my back and a, a duffel bag with my entire life in it. Wow. And I'm sitting at the Kahului airport for like six hours. How my, old? I was 15. Wow. And so um, my dad shows up after six hours. We recognize each other, except that I wasn't the bushy tailed, wide eyed, you know, six year old. I was now black on black on black, you know, just goth kid. And he says, Christina, and I, I, I knew it was him. And, you know, we give each other a hug, we get into his pickup truck, and he's like, I've got to tell you something. This is crazy, you're here. And I was like, okay, I had just this thought. I was like, I just want to get in a warm bed. I had been traveling for 24 plus hours. Yeah. And he's like, I'm homeless. And I'm living in a tent on the beach. I lost everything. You know, he was, I guess, trying to put a CD out. He's a musician as well. But he retired from the oil field in his late 40s and, you know, wanted to do what he loved, which was music. So he lost all his money doing that and obviously a bad drug problem. So we show up to a place called Thousand Peaks Beach, tents everywhere. Now, mind you, I didn't come from that. You know, it was a, I, we were, my mom married somebody who was very well-to-do, but it was like living in a prison. Mm. And so, um, that's how I ended up at Thousand Peaks Beach. So three days into, uh, we were there for, yeah, it was about three days and the, the police raided the beach and we had to move to a campground called Camp Pacusa. And so- Are you like, what the crap? What, I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, a, I'm living in a tent? <laughs> like From a seven bedroom home, let me tell you. I mean, you in know, Bolivia, in Bolivia, you mean? yeah, I mean, we, in Bolivia, it's very much a, you're either very, very wealthy or you're very, very poor. It's a third world country. Did your so mom know what she, she was know. sending you to? She didn't know, but my mom was in a desperate place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they didn't even talk to my My dad found out from his conga player in his band that I was at the airport. That's why he was so late. And so, you know, I'm in a state of shock. You know, there's a part of me, though, at the moment that was like, I was happy to get out of where I was but I just came into something. It was like the curtains were just ripped open, like welcome to the real world, like really welcome to the real world. I don't know what my next meal is gonna be. I've got 20 bucks in my pocket and you're just in a state of shock. It's trauma. So you're just kind of like when you're walking through trauma and you're walking through shock, the only thing that's on your mind is surviving it. Yeah. So like reasoning, I mean, all that goes out the window. You're just like, I've got to survive this. And yeah. your, your brain goes into survival mode. Every part of you goes into survival mode. Wow, so then what? So I was on the beach for quite some time and a uh, family member found out. You just sharing a tent with your dad? Yeah, Yeah. there's a blow up, a blow up bed in his tent. It's mm -hmm. a, like a queen size tent. So it was just like all blow up bed. Yeah. My dad's like freaking out. Like, what do I, like I haven't seen my daughter in all these years and I mean, now we're sharing he's a in English. Bed in a tent and yeah, and I'm like, you know, it was awkward, but interestingly enough, like, I know now looking back how the Lord gave us that moment. It yeah. was like a moment where him and I bonded in a place of deep pain because yeah. God was setting up puzzle pieces that would 
one day opened the gates for my dad to come to the Lord. But I'll, wow. I'll get to that in wow. a second. Cool. So I went from house to house. So I get a plane ticket from my aunt to go to, to back to Houston, which is where most of my family is. Went from house to house and they're like, we don't want to deal with this clearly very troubled teenager, which I understand, you know. Um, and my brother was going, he was on an athletic scholarship in Pennsylvania at Messiah College. Okay. It's a, in a little town called Grantham. And he, so I end up in Pennsylvania living at a Red Roof Inn. Okay. At this point, I'm 16 years old. And my brother goes to his basketball coach and is like, my sister, she's an atheist. I'm pretty sure she's on drugs. I'm not really sure all that's going on there, but I'm trying to find a place for her to live. And so he goes to the church, the basketball coach who was a Christian, who was a recovered alcoholic, had this crazy testimony and goes to the staff meeting at the church he attends. And this couple stands up and says, we'll take her in. Wow. Like no questions. They're like, let, let us tell you where she's at. No, we'll take her. So I show up to their house one week before 9-11, September 11, 2001. Wow. And she opens the door and she's like, you know, welcome to our home. She's like, we just, you know, we sit down. She's like, we just have two rules in our house. One, your curfew's 11. I'm like, I don't care. I just, I want a warm bed. Yeah. I want a safe place. And then the second one is you got to go to church with us every Sunday. Yeah. And I'm like looking around the room. I'm like, you don't understand. Like I'm an atheist. And they're like, you're on your own kid. And so I live with <laughs> them for three years and I would come down and I had like pink hair. I'd have crazy hair and obscene words on my on my hoodies and I would fuzzy slippers and like smiley face pajamas just like I would come in my pajamas like you sure you want to take me she's like yep get in the car Chris we're going to church and this was kind of like a very you know this is a very very conservative church okay so she didn't <laughs> care she wanted me in church that's awesome she didn't care what I looked like she didn't care <clears throat> she just wanted me in church and what I didn't know is that the Lord was setting up. Yeah. He was beginning, you know, the scriptures tell us that one sows, one waters, but it is God that gives the increase. Yeah. And looking back on those moments of my life, I know that the Lord was setting up. He was planting seeds, whether I wanted to receive it, whether I was falling in, falling asleep in church or not, whether I was just totally checked out, God was sowing seed because his word is incorruptible yeah. and his word will do what it's set out to do. Yeah. And so... Um, I stayed with them three years, graduated high school, and once I left their home, I just started going on a downward spiral again. Just Now I started getting into really heavy drugs yeah. and so many things, okay? I could, you know, there's just so many stories leading up to this moment, mm. but my rubber meets the road moment. Um, I got arrested for drug possession, and I had had many close calls before. In Pennsylvania, are you still? So I moved to Houston. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, I leave their house. I'm kind of out on my own. I start partying really hard. I mean, I'm out on my own now. I'm like, I'm doing whatever I want. Yeah. And I end up in Houston, Texas, and I'm like partying really hard. And I had so many close calls with the cops all the time. It was like I would almost get arrested and then I wouldn't. And one night I'm driving down the road. I just gone to my dealer's house and um, lights come on, pulls me over. I'm like smoking in the car smoking weed in the car and he rolls down the window puts me under arrest immediately and I go to jail that night takes all my drugs I mean I didn't just have a ton of weed I had other things in the car too yeah so I go to jail that night and I remember just like being in the holding tank and I'm like what am I doing here like what am I doing here and so the rubber meets the road moment for me came 
I'm out on bail. I'm sitting at my desk because I worked at a university, by the way. I was a admissions counselor. Oh, wow. I had landed a job just kind of following in my dad's footsteps. My dad was an oil executive with a bad cocaine habit. Yeah. But he lived So you were functional. Very functional. But it catches up to you. So you can't, people are like, I'm, I'm a functional addict. People say that. But it's like sooner or later, the, the addiction does take over. You can do that only for a while. Mm. But in every way, physiologically, mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually, mm-hmm. it begins to take over. And I was already hitting that point where it was like the addiction was totally taking over. And I'm sitting at my desk and I was like, well, if I'm going to go back to jail, like I have nothing to live for except, you know, and this is a whole nother story, but I had a nine month old baby at home. Oh, wow. And there's a whole story with that too. Yeah. And I just kept like thinking about him and I just, this voice in my head was like, but he's better off without you. And I get a tap on the shoulder and it's this guy who I knew was a part-time pastor. His name was Hillroy. And he's like, just boldly, he's like, I have a word from the Lord for you, Christina. And I'm like, a word from the Lord? I don't even believe in God in my mind. But I was like, I had this thought, I'm like, how did he know I was like contemplating how to take my life at the same time he comes and says he has a word from God. Wow. And he says, we have prayer meetings every day on the third floor and we want to invite you out at noon. And it was like my last resort. I was like, well, what do I have to lose? Yeah. So I am like trembling showing up to this prayer meeting. Yeah. I could hear them praying on the other side. These people were like, it was like a humming, like a music coming from inside of this break room. And so I walk through and I have this thought. I'm like, if these people, if there's a God, these people have come face to face with him. Mm. Because it was so intimate. It was so close. It was so personal. Mm. Like they were right. Like they, they are face to face with God. Mm-hmm. And they, he starts to read to me out of, Hillroy starts to read to me out of the book of Jeremiah right before Israel is about to get wiped out. Mm. And he said, this is a matter of life or death. Mm. And I knew what he was saying to me was true. Like, it's interesting because truth is truth. Yeah. And my spirit, now I know that I didn't in my mind I was like this is true because how would he have known that I'm driving drunk 120 miles an hour down the freeway Monday through Monday from the bars and I had this like thought like of me dying in a car accident when he Mm -hmm. said that and I knew maybe this is like next for me Mm. so he said do you want to accept Jesus into your heart and I was like Hmm. like whoever you are like come into my heart change my life help me raise my baby Mm. And immediately, so he leads me through, you know, sinner's prayer. And he's like, I'm, ex- I'm like saying this, Jesus, come into my heart. And immediately, like this peace I had never experienced in my entire life is filling me. Like my wow. top of my head, tips of my toes. And like the boulders I had been carrying around for 20 plus years of my life are like lifted instantly. Wow. And, you know, when the scriptures talk about being born again, it truly is being born again. You know, the, the sky was bluer. The grass was greener. The fluorescent lights in the office I worked at were brighter. A light I had never seen before. I had come through, you know, symbolically, however you want to call it. Like, it's like Mm -hmm. in the spirit, we come through the birth canal. And we are, for the first time, experiencing life in the spirit. I'd never experienced that before. Wow. Let me just stop you right there. It's interesting. I've got an interview with a guy named Mike Reynolds on this podcast. People can go back and listen to it. And... He talks about this the same way you are, about everything in his life was just gray and black and white. You know, there was not a lot of color. And when he got saved, like, he started seeing things in color. Now, it's not that he didn't see color, 
but it, he he literally would say it was like more vivid color it's which so like i don't have that story i, I mean i was raised in a christian home i gradually there was not a day in my life i didn't believe jesus was real believe that he died sometime around seventh eighth grade i made a personal commitment to him if you had to pin me down on when I got saved, I'd say probably that. But, but I mean, I believe my whole, and so is this gradual growth thing. And so I'm so fascinated when I hear these darkness to light stories because it's so different from my story, but it's so uh, supernatural. Supernatural. Because, you know, my husband has it, which by the way, your story is a story that I desire for my son. Yeah. That's what we desire for all of our children because, and I believe that's the heart of the father. The yeah. heart of the father is for us not to go and wander and and end up in so much pain. As a matter of fact, his word is given to us yeah. so that we can prevent all of the pain and we can yeah. prevent all of that. The thing is, is that when you're born, I, I look at it from a place of like, stories which I believe are a massive testimony to the goodness of God, the legacy and family that you were raised in a family that taught you the word of God. And I yeah. tell people all the time, if you have parents that in any way, shape or, or form took you to church, nobody's perfect. And as right. parents, we make mistakes every day. Right. But if your parents taught you that Jesus is Lord yeah. and taught you the scriptures, that in itself is a testimony. Amen. And my husband has that very powerful testimony. You do. My son is being raised up by That's the grace awesome. of God in that testimony. Yeah. But the heart of the Father is not for us to go and end up in places, you know, crack houses and be strung out and be at the bars. That is not the heart of the Father. Yeah. I think that when you are raised in just pitch dark, you've never experienced light. Yeah. The first time you see it yeah. are these experiences of like, whoa, I didn't know this was out here. Yeah, that's wild. But stories like you, stories like you and my husband and my son, yeah. um, it's like the, the light just increases as you, the more you, the yeah. more you see the face of Jesus, there's more light. Yeah. And the more you behold him, it just get your life, you look at yeah. it and go, gosh, it's just God, there's so much more of you. Yes. But there's been a measure of light all your life. Yes. What a, what a, what a testimony. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, before we go any further, a couple things that you've mentioned in your story that I just want to highlight and stand out to me is, uh, A, the couple that brought you in. I mean, what a great ministry. And, and I think that, you know, people are wondering, like, what, how could I ever make an impact for the Lord? Well, you got a house. And you probably have a bedroom that if somebody needed to use, and, and even if that person is not, you know, your idea of what a person should be like, what they should look like, what they should wear, how they should act, take them in. There's another wow. in interview that I did. is our very first episode. A guy named Ron Gruber, former motorcycle gangster, murderer, did prison time, came to faith in Christ. And there was a family in Kentucky, which is where we're at, ironically, uh, that took him in when he was on the run. And they required him, he, they, they, they gave him a job. Yeah. He, he needed work and he needed to make money. He worked on a farm. And they required him to eat lunch with them every day. Wow. And at lunchtime, you know, they did just this old couple that had nothing in common with Ron Gruber. Um, they would just do devotions at lunchtime. And Ron's like, this is the dumbest thing. Why am I doing this? But I need a job and I need a place to stay. So I'm going to come to lunch. And it just had this drip, drip, drip effect that, like you said, God is setting things up, putting pieces in place, 
that would eventually lead to him being saved. The other one was, um, what was the other component of your story where I, somebody jumped off the page to me like, yeah, you could do this. This is a, uh, I slipped my mind. But you know what I mean? Like the people that took you in, that's huge. Like people can do that. I I think that Christians who want to have an impact think they can only do two or three things. It's like preach on a street corner or like go door to door evangelism, you know, but it's like, no, there's a million things. And one of them could be open your house to somebody and, uh, I mean, think about the impact that that had in your story, right? It changed my life. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is that every single day that we're given by God is a, is an opportunity to minister. And the times... Go ahead, go ahead. The times that we're living in right now is like, this is what my husband and I say all the time, the fruit is so low-hanging. And I want to encourage your, your listeners because the fruit is so low-hanging right now. People can wear a mask all day, but you walk around and it's like people are grasping for hope people are grasping for like how how do i come out of the dark place that i'm in mm-hmm. and so the world is our platform yeah the world is our pulpit you're at the grocery store you can go to the gas station you could be you know it just if you you know working in business wherever you are there's always people and that's we have jesus the holy spirit living inside of us if you've given your life to the lord the hope of glory, the manifest presence of God. And sometimes people think, well, I don't, I don't know what I could do. I don't know where I can go. If there are people around you, yeah, those are people that you can minister to. The, the other one that I just remembered now was these guys who were doing this prayer meeting at work. I mean, what a huge thing. Like, we've got a big manufacturing company in, in Northeast Iowa, John Deere. They make tractors. Yeah. You've heard of them. Yeah. And I think, I know guys who listen to this podcast uh, who are engineers at Deer, and they're going, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? And I, you know, I've talked, I've talked to a few of them that there's maybe a little Bible study with the guys they work with at, over the lunch hour. Yeah. And you go, what's the effect of that? Well, who knows what the effect of that is? In in your case, it's enormous, right? It I mean, changed my life. And I mean, even even for the ones who they don't know, their lives were changed. Doesn't that have an impact? Like in the workplace, these guys are getting together at lunchtime to study the Bible. Like what's going on over there? They must be serious. Like you said, uh, these guys must have met God because of the way that they were and the way that they prayed and the way that they acted. Yeah. They had powerful testimony. That was what stood out to me was like, it was so personal. They were not talking to a God that was far away or a God that was dead, but they were talking to someone who, when I stepped into the room, the atmosphere was like, wow, this is, it was, it was, a, it was like an atmosphere that was alive. These people were coming face to face with him. Wow. And, and that's what, that's what, that's what impacted me. And you know, it's interesting. You talk about even the bosses, one of the executives at that company is a good friend of mine mm. and she's come to the Lord. And she told me, she's told actually like two months ago, she told me that they would get together in these meetings and they were trying to shut this thing down. They didn't know how to, and they could not shut it down. Hmm. They could not, because we didn't use corporate email to, to, it was just like, it was our break. That was off the clock. Yeah. And they could not shut it down. God saw to it. People were coming to the Lord in that little break room all the time for, for, that was going on for years. Wow. And so I, you know, God brought the church to me because mm. I wouldn't have never stepped into a church yeah. on my own like At I did point. when I was 
a teenager because I had I needed a place to live. Yeah. But at that point, I never would have gone into the church. The Lord brought the church to me. Yeah. He brought the body of Christ to me. And, you know, that's just what we see happening in the world right now that, you know, the church has left the building. And that's what, co- you know, with the pandemic and yeah. everything, it was like we were called to a place where it was like, okay, we can't gather, but we've got to reach people. Yeah. People have got to hear the gospel. And we've been yeah. doing that online and any, God just became so resourceful. He's like, Hey, we're going to use everything and anything to yeah. preach the gospel, to bring hope That's awesome. and, and to, you know, share with people that there is hope beyond this. Yeah. So keep telling your story. Yeah. So, um, so I got arrested and, you know, I'm going to this prayer meeting, but you know, it's interesting because when we come to the Lord, it isn't like this, like, oh, now everything is going to be great. Mm-hmm. In fact, everything started getting worse. And I was warned about that because the man that led me to the Lord was like, now, Christina, he was like, I just want to let you know, God's God's going to begin to deal with all the things yeah. that got you in this place. And yeah. I'm so thankful for that because if I had just been told one, two, three, you know, every day is a Friday, you know, like yeah. I would have been in big trouble. <clears throat> and so I was very thankful that... Um, that he told, he prepared me for what was coming. And that's often what happens. We give our lives to the Lord and God takes us into a wilderness and begins to deal mm-hmm. with, with the things that had us in that place to begin with. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I'm facing a court case and basically for, um, you know, the drugs and everything. So I show up for court that morning and it was the very first time that I had heard the voice, the still small voice of God in my spirit. Mm. And I, it's crazy. I, like I, I, I didn't hear an audible voice or anything, yeah, but yeah, I just, yeah. I heard, go talk to the DA. And so I told my attorney, I was like, I need to talk to the DA. He was like, you can't do that. And I was like, I have nothing to lose once again. And he's like, you know, I've already given you legal advice. He's like, okay, you know? And I, so this <laughs> DA turns around, looks at me, we walk out of the courtroom. He's like, so what's up? And I remember thinking, I'm like, I don't know what's up. I'm just going to tell him the truth about what happened. Because all these people that were discipling me were telling me, God is truth. I'm going to tell him the truth about what happened that night. And so I was like, look, I'm not the person that was in that car September 2nd. And I know you get a lot of people tell you that God has saved them. But really, Jesus Christ has saved me. And I'm not that person anymore. And I'm deeply sorry. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we all make some mistakes sometimes. Have a great day. And then what? I'm like. He just dropped it? Well, no. my attorney looks at me he's like you're toast I gave a full confession with no plea deal (laughs) and I'm like I can't go back to jail well anyways I go and sit down and I had this moment I was like all right Lord I know you've called me to preach the gospel yeah I know you've called me to tell people about you so I'll preach the gospel in jail wow I was like just take care of my baby yeah it was the only thing was just like take care of my son yeah it was the true moment of surrender sometimes you think sometimes we think oh we've surrendered but I hadn't until that moment. It was yeah. like, that was when I laid everything down. Yeah. And then next thing I see, it felt like 15 hours, like 15 minutes. My attorney comes up to me. He's pale. He holds up a yellow piece of paper. And I'm thinking maybe they're postponing my arrest date because sometimes they give you time to handle your affairs and then you turn yourself in. And at the top of this yellow piece of paper, it says order of dismissal. And I'm like, Oscar, what does this mean? And he's like, you're free to go. And I'm like, what what happened? He said, they dismiss your case, Christina. I run out of that courtroom and I, you know, had been watching all these people worship God, praise God. I fall on my knees and I'm at the top of my lungs. There's hundreds of people walking around. I'm like, hallelujah. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, totally undignified. Because when God touches you, you become undignified. You don't even care what people think or what people say about you or what you look like. Yeah. 
you're just undignified and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and I heard I heard that still small voice again you see that judge in there do you see her I'm above the judicial system in the United wow. States and I've been watching over you your entire life and I had this like kind of film strip of like when I was homeless on the beach looking up going is there anybody out there that sees me yeah. when I'm getting arrested a brain tumor diagnosis all of those moments he was there with me mm-hmm. and that was my woman at the well moment where I knew walking away from that well, I knew that I had to, I was like, I want to live the rest of my days telling people about you because I know that what you've done for me, Mm. you'll do for everybody. Mm. And so that was, that was uh, the moment that, you know, incredible set the course for the rest of my life. Give us a couple sentences on the brain tumor diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, in a couple sentences, I was paragraphs. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, I was diagnosed actually before I became a believer and then I pretended it wasn't there. And God is so good because when I was working at this university, he started sending people after I'd, be, after I'd uh, been led to the Lord, uh, people that worked at MD Anderson Cancer Center. And, you know, the Lord speaks to us in patterns. So I knew I was like, how am I getting all these students that work at MD Anderson in one week? And I knew I need to go get an, a scan. I went and got a scan and the tumor had grown significantly. And my neurosurgeon comes in, he's like, we're gonna have to remove this. And I'm thinking, well, like a plan, six months. He's like, when I come back from vacation Monday, we have to remove it. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like no time to process this. Yeah. Went in for surgery. Um, How the Lord used this is the night before brain surgery. Well, we meet, we're, we're going up to the OR and my dad is waiting there. My husband and I are walking in and he says, I need to talk to you. He wasn't supposed to be there. And he was the number one person persecuting me for my faith for two years. Wow. And he says, I need to talk to you before you go in. I was like, okay. He was like, I was in the apartment last night and I asked God that if he brings you through this, I'll serve him. Wow. And I'm like, what? I'm like crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, my husband and I are like. And so I go in for brain surgery. What a gift from the Lord, knowing that that my dad had accepted Jesus into his heart. And so that was the first miracle. Um, I would say the second miracle is that, you know, they got the entire tumor. I'm like tumor free. And I went to stay with my mom. My mom took care of me after the surgery and she was not a believer either. And, uh, the same story. She was just in her bedroom while she was taking care of me and just surrendered her life to the Lord. Wow. So, you know, sometimes we ask, like, I know I did that too. It's like, God, why me? I've already been through so much, but that season taught me to not do the, you know, ask the question of why me, but. God, what are you teaching me in this? Um, And the man that led me to the Lord, Hilroy, was like, Christina, sometimes it isn't about what you're going through, but it's about others that are spectating. Yes. And it was my mom and dad watching me go through something because I think that if I had just, you know, been supernaturally healed, which God can do. Yeah. That wouldn't have done anything for him. It was them watching me go through something like this. Yeah. That brought them to their knees. So I always tell people, you know, the things that we go through, the adversity, the scriptures say that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us from them all. Not yeah. some, but all. Yeah. And God is doing something in the midst of the pain. He's doing something in the midst of the valley and the adversity. That is some, a lot of times it is for us. Most of the time I would say, yeah. but there are people that are watching our lives are watching us walk through yeah. the pain. They're watching us walk through sickness or whatever the case may be. And it is ministering to them and God is getting the Amen. glory. That's so, awesome. That's a, so where was the brain tumor on the timeline of everything else? Yeah. Was that, that was after you were a believer, obviously. Yes, the operation was. Okay. But I found out about it three months after I had my son. 
Okay. I was having these tension headaches, kept feeling like I fell, fell backwards in my seat. And I went to a neurologist and they said, it's probably tension headaches, but we'll do a routine MRI. Mm -hmm. And that routine MRI, I believe, saved my life because, you know, it, well, I would say it, it brought to attention yeah. what later on, yeah. you know, who knows if I wouldn't have known at that point where I was like, I need to go get another scan. I, maybe I would have let it go, maybe. But I knew already in the back of my head, I've got this thing I've got to deal with. Right. And that's a lot of what the Lord did with me after I came to the Lord was like, I was always in fight or flight. I was yeah. always surviving. Yeah. And so one of the things that seat, the Lord took me through a season of like, hey, you got to deal with stuff. So that was part of that season, learning that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you've written this uh, down. This is part of your story. Do you do a lot of speaking and writing? And what are you doing I with do. your time now? I do. I'm, I just wrote a book called Hope in 60 Seconds. It came out in May. And it came from uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic. I jumped on an app called TikTok, which I, I was never a social media person, but the Lord had given me a dream. And in the dream, I knew, there was like a darkness over social media. I knew that like, I just needed to get on and offer people hope, just like it was given to me in my darkest hour. Mm. And I get on TikTok and I start, I posted in the middle of the night, really bad lighting at one in the morning after Good Friday, I post this prayer off of Joshua one and nine. And I wake up the next morning, the video had gone viral. And my husband and I were a little shocked because we were like, that's strange. You know, if one person watched it, I just, I was just like one person, God, send this prayer to one person. Yeah. But the videos continued going viral one after the other and they didn't stop. And we were like, okay, what's going on here? Wow. And the account just started exploding. Again, I wasn't a social media person. I'm, I'm very much, a, I love, yeah. I'm an extra extrovert, so I love being with people. <laughs> Social media was always like very, you know, but it was what God was using, you know, for totally. us to be able to communicate and preach the gospel. And so um, people started reaching out and asking me what the passion was behind the prayers. And I'm like, well, the passion behind the prayers is my testimony because we've overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Yeah. And so I knew Amen. it was time to write the book. I'd always known I'm going to write a book, but I, the Lord was like, now is the time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why the book is called Hope in 60 Seconds. Some, somebody had asked me, so what is it about your story that is giving people hope in less than 60 seconds? Yeah. And so the story behind that is God doesn't need a lifetime. All he needs is one moment of surrender. Mm. And, and even just a little cracked open window, because my, my, my heart wasn't fully open, but there was like a little crack where I was like, yeah. I think I'll try you out here, God. And God's like, oh really? I'm coming right in. Yeah. And that's, so I just shared, you know, from homelessness to the brain tumor and addiction and yeah. tragedy and jail and um, so many things yeah. that happened leading up into this moment. So. So we, we minister on, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, mm -hmm. um, and the videos continue to go viral two and a half years later because people Amazing. need hope. Yes. Because it's not about the great lighting, clearly. Right. It's not about the great camera. It's not about, it's about his presence coming through the videos. Yes. His manifest presence coming and touching people's hearts and offering them the hope that they need. So how long have you been, what I'd say, walking with the Lord? And, and I'm not saying like, from the time you've been saved. But, you know, you said there was a time after you got saved where you were still kind of, no, maybe not. Was there a downtime after you got saved? Or is, is it all kind of up and to the right? Oh, I'd say up and to the right. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> no, I so mean. So how long ago was that? Uh, so this all took place October, 2009. I got okay. arrested September 2nd, 2009. Okay, yeah. so it's been 13 years-ish. Yeah. 
And I mean, I can tell, listen to you, you're very biblically literate. And uh, how, how did that all happen? Yeah, well. Did, did you just dive right in from day one? I did. Um, when I got the, you know, here's the thing is like the most overwhelming revelation coming and, and receiving Jesus into my heart was that he had been there the whole time. And I had felt like I had missed out on like 20 plus years. It's kind of like if you haven't seen somebody in so long and you're like, like, like let's catch up. You know, yeah. like you, what's been going on in your life? And like, you know, who are, you know, who are the person you, you become? You hear these yeah. stories where like yeah. parents get separated from their kids at birth. Yeah. And they're like, we just got to catch up. And I felt that way. It was like, I just want to know everything about you. I want to know what makes you happy, glad, sad, mad. I want to know. And so I just, I would, in the middle of the night, I'd have this little, little light over my bed that I would turn on. My son would, you know, be sleeping there and I would just devour the word. Yeah. And I was like, you know, there, I wouldn't feel tired. I would wake up then just full of the word. Wow. And I just had this hunger of like, I just want to know everything about you. Yeah. And so, and I went to Bible college. That was one of the reasons yeah. Um, yeah. I started going to the college of biblical studies in Houston, Texas, Cool. because I wanted, well, my reasoning at the time was one, I want to know the Lord, but two, I want to be able to intellectually have a conversation with my dad who was an atheist. I was so burdened yeah. that I knew that if he didn't accept Jesus into his heart, um, you know, that he, that, he, that was it. Like you're yeah. lost. Like, and I'm, I was preaching hellfire and brimstone at that time. That's why my mom was running from me. Cause I'm like, you're going to go to hell if you don't accept them. They're like, ah, <laughs> she's coming. They didn't want to, you know, so I learned. I okay. <laughs> but I just, so my heart was so burdened for I my family. It. And I just was like, God, I just want to know your word. I want to rightly divide your word to be able to mm. talk, talk to not just my family, but anybody yeah. so that they can understand that you are real. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love that. Um, your son, update us on that. Oh, goodness. He, it's interesting because I didn't know it at the time, but his name means God has given grace. What's his name? His name is Evan. Okay. And little backstory on him that's also in my book. Um, I, I named that chapter When Grace Meets Darkness because I was on my way. I'd scheduled an abortion. Wow. And my drug dealer's girlfriend, Demetrius, came knocking, pounding on the door in the middle of the afternoon. And I opened the door, she's pregnant, has two kids in tow. And she said, I need to talk to you. And we go into the bathroom and she's like, pulls out this Walmart bag with a brown file in it. And it is, um, I, I start reading, I'm like, I don't know what I'm reading, but it's like this court case of the state of Texas versus this doctor, this family was involved. They were suing this doctor for malpractice because their 15 year old daughter had died on the op or having an abortion on the table. And um, when I saw it was the doctor I was going to, and it hit me, it shocked me. And wow. she looks at me, she just grabs me from my collar, and she said, I know you don't believe in God, but I'm asking you not to kill this child. Wow. Now, I don't even believe this is a child. Right. I mean, I was, in my mind, I'm like, who's an embryo to dictate my life? Yeah. And I know now that that was the Spirit of God arresting me, even though I didn't know him. Hello, he still touches people even though they don't know him. Amen. He's not limited to, we have to know him for him to intervene. Amen. And I collapse on the ground and she said, my God will provide for this baby. Hmm. And so that little baby, seven pound, three ounce little boy came into my life and was who the Lord used to lead me to the king. Because I wouldn't have treasured my life or valued my life. Without him. 
even that day just sitting there, he was like my reason to live. He was my reason at the time, my reason to live, my reason to breathe, my reason to keep going. I would have taken my life that day. Hmm. So he is who the Lord used. So Evan, How old is he now? He is almost 16. Okay. He is, um, he, truly he lives out his name. He's, he's God's grace because he uh, loves the scriptures. He's such a, he's just in tune with the Lord has very much like, so my husband, you know, adopted him as a baby. Yeah. I met Ryan very, very shortly after I'd given my life to the Lord. There's a whole story with what happened with the biological father. That's another chapter in the book, crazy. Um, <laughs> but he is a, uh, so he competes, does Rubik's Cubes. Evan? Evan, yeah. Oh, so wow. he, you know. I've seen that on Instagram. He's like, like he's a math says, man. He's a, he has an engineering brain. Um, he is just, he is the grace of God. It's like the world could be falling apart, but we're like, but Evan, because yeah. he's such a good kid and he loves the Lord. He's wow. already, he's just finished reading through the Bible for the first time. And he's just, he's full of the scriptures, just a, a gentle, gentle soul. He's a big, he's very tall, and um, but he's just a gentle soul. He's God's grace to my life. Yeah. Man, what a story. Um, so what's... Where are you headed? What, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's God unfolding in your life? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm really good at God giving me one assignment at a time. Yeah. I love that the Lord is like, my assignment, my husband and I as a family, you know, because we do it together, Evan, Ryan, and I, our assignment are, you know, what we're doing on social media. So we always say the, the next thing is the next video. It's the next prayer. Mm. It's the next person that's going to hear God's voice through those prayers mm -hmm. and is going to encounter the Lord. And so that's been my assignment until the Lord changes the subject. Like mm -hmm. I'm like, Lord, you know, this is what we're doing. And I'm really good with like, this is, this is what we're focused and on. Are you guys in Texas still? We're in Austin. Yeah. yeah. North of Austin, a little town called Georgetown. Oh, so yeah. We're about 20 minutes from Austin. Yeah. 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 I know exactly where Georgetown is. I've been there. Uh, so your husband, does he work? Oh or yeah. Does he just do this? Yeah. No, with he's, you? well, he does this, you know, we do this together. So when I post videos, uh, well, he is, he has always worked in production. He's an LD, a lighting designer, Okay. Uh, but he's a project manager now. So he has a, you know, a regular job, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but every video that we do, he's on the other side of the video and he has his hand extended, just praying as I'm praying. Awesome. And so he sets up lighting and, you know, he does all that behind the scenes. Yeah. So tell us how this social media thing came about. I mean, you told us the TikTok thing, yeah. it blew up, but then how did you capture a vision for like, this is actually something I need to do and keep doing. Yeah. How did that all develop? Yeah, I mean, when the Lord, I feel like the Lord just kind of entrusted that assignment to us. And you know how the Lord, you know when you have a, a the Lord puts grace on, on the things that we do. He, yeah. You know, you have yeah. a peace about, I just know this, he hasn't changed the subject. Mm -hmm. So until he does that, it's like, I've known for, the, for two and a half years, you know, the need is still there. You know, yeah. it's not like, um, I mean, this turned into a prayer ministry. It was like, okay, Lord, like people need prayer every day. And so to be able to give people that one minute of hope, yeah. that one minute that our prayer is that people, they won't see the video. They don't see me. That's always our prayer. And we pray that together. Every single prayer that goes out, Ryan and I and Evan, we come together, we pray over every video. We don't post one video without praying over it and praying this, yeah. that when they see the video, they don't see me, yeah. that they see the face of Jesus and yeah. they hear the voice of the Lord. Yeah. And that that moment would be a moment that would inspire them to open their Bible, to spend time in prayer. Sometimes mm -hmm. you've got to watch other people love God to learn yeah. how to love him yourself. Yeah. And so that's, that's our, 
you know, our prayer every day is that just that moment yeah. where people experience his presence, can connect with his heart in a moment, and then lead their own lives and, and go deeper with the Lord. And what kind of feedback are you getting? I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of feedback, but what, give us uh, two or three that stand out. Yeah, well, one of my favorite testimonies, um, a realtor in Florida, he was scrolling through TikTok in the middle of the night and was losing his bit, just everything that was happening during the pandemic. He has a gun on the hmm. table and he was just, cause that's what happened. People get on TikTok and they're just like, kind of like, you're, they're like numbing, you yeah, know? Just yeah, like, yeah. You're just like mind, it's just so mindlessly, you're just like going through each video. Totally. And the video comes up and what I do is I'm like, hey, wait, let me pray for you. Sometimes I'll jump out, let me pray for you. And he said, he was gonna keep scrolling, but he just, something told him to stop. And he said that the presence of the Lord filled his room and he had this gun, he was just shaking and he heard the still small voice of God say, son, I've got you, don't do this. Wow. And he said, said, I'm a grown old man Hmm. weeping in my bedroom. Hmm. And I rededicated my life to the Lord that day. Um, And just that, that's one of my favorite moments. But every day we receive, you know, just testimonies of people getting arrested in that moment mm-hmm. where they're thinking about doing something yeah. or they're involved in something they know they shouldn't be involved in, looking at stuff online they shouldn't be looking at, whatever yeah. the case may be yeah. in that moment. And the Holy Spirit just comes in that moment, breathes his life over them and they have hope. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden their, their mindset is shifted mm-hmm. where they look at him and they see the better way that God has for them. Mm-hmm. So that, I believe that's been primarily how the Lord has been using that. You know, TikTok, social media, it's a very dark place. It is. Yeah. But the, the reality of it is, is if, if we don't go, who will? Yeah. We have to occupy until the Lord comes. Yeah, Even amen. the dark places, because God wants to send people into the, if we, you know, I've always said, like, the church came to me. Yeah. I wouldn't have gone into a church. And yeah. there are millions of other me's that yeah. are out there that are just waiting for one of us to go, hey, yeah. there's somebody that can totally. save you from totally. the dark pit that you're in. Yep. And his name is Jesus. Yeah. And But we have to be the ones to go. And so that's what TikTok has been is like, God, and I would say this, God, uh, you know, stop their scroll, arrest them in that moment yes. where they will reconsider where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast is similar in a different way. Um, there are people that hear this stuff who maybe aren't going to go listen to a sermon, aren't going to log into desiringgod.org yeah. or some, but, but they're going to hear your story or they're going to hear one of the other stories. And what blows my mind is there's a handful of interviews that when I got done with them, I was like, yeah, that didn't go the way I was hoping that it would. And I just, you know, you almost think about bagging it, you know, <laughs> And we're not going to publish that because no one's going to be interested in it. But you throw it up there, and then invariably, mm-hmm. I don't get feedback, you know, all the time from everything. But every single interview that I've done that I've thought that wasn't good or that content wasn't really interesting, people aren't going to be interested in this, somebody will specifically contact me and say that interview, and I'm, I'm thinking there's probably four or five of them, like was huge for me and and powerfully impacted me is like you're like really wow you know what i mean and so it reminds you like the, the lord's doing his thing and we're just the vessels yes. so just get out of the way and let him do it yeah. you know yeah and i want to say something about that because i i've really been meditating on this as as in the book of acts 
the apostles, like, and even Paul talks about, he didn't come with clever speech. Yeah. He came with the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And so it was, that's, that releases the pressure off of us because yes. when we have God's manifest presence on our lives and we are preaching none other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, Amen. it doesn't matter what we say. The most simple thing you're like, oh, that didn't sound so good. I didn't get the goosebumps. I didn't feel the power of God. Right. And, but it doesn't matter because right. His power makes the most simple things that we say like the most impactful thing that could change somebody's life. Yes. And it doesn't need to be loud. It doesn't need to be. It's just His presence that changes lives. It's His presence that melts the hard heart and changes. It brings back the heart of the sons to the Father. And so I just, you know, I... And his word, the scriptures say that his word will do what it's set out to do and it won't return void. So that means that all the pressure is off of us. We're broken vessels being put back together by the Father. And and he just comes, anoints us with his presence, Mm -hmm. and the most simple things become powerful in him. Isn't that exciting? I love that because we have no pressure on us. Yeah, and it's it's a ton of fun to be used in that way and not have to be bogged down with the pressure. Yeah. Uh, That's so good. So you're speaking... Have you spoken yet? Uh, tonight. Tonight. Yeah, tonight. And what are you, are you basically saying what you, we talked about here? Yeah, well, I'll share, I'll share Your my story. story. Yeah, um, I am going to speak out of Job. I, I just was so, you know, with the scriptures or, you know, you can read the same scripture yeah. for 50 years and then the Lord's like, oh, but look at this. And, and there's in Job 1, 13, it says, and while he was yet speaking, and it says it three different times in that chapter, that while Job was getting word about calamity striking his house yeah another calamity was striking and so yeah that's yeah. just going to be my encouragement tonight is that you know when it rains it pours but god is doing something in the midst of it oh amen yeah. christina baker thank you so much for your time uh how can people follow you online social media website all that yeah uh christinabaker.com christina without an h um and, and a, a c right? cr yep yep um, and I'm on Facebook under Christina Baker, um, Instagram, it's Christina Baker and TikTok. If anybody is daring enough to go on TikTok, <laughs> it's just Christina.Baker. You know, we aren't on TikTok as a ministry and I thought about going on it just because there's people there and oh, to yeah. your point, like go where they are. Yes. And, and God will use it Yeah. because there's something going on with TikTok. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. We understand the darkness there and it is dark. Yeah. But we have to be a light in the darkness because if we don't go, who will? Yeah. So, you know, they're one minute because this generation, you've got to catch them quickly. It's just a, if you, there's been studies done. If you don't catch people within the first three to sec, three to 10 seconds, you've lost them. Yeah. So, um, I, I believe your, your ministry will definitely be a blessing on TikTok. Awesome. Christina, thanks for your time. God bless your ministry. God bless your family. And uh, really, really enjoy getting to hear your story. And I know our audience will too. Thank you for having me. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. 
First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.